Great physical strength could kill, but it's a risk I'll have to take. Something bothering you, Mrs. Spock? End of day. The freedom of speech is being taken away. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network. I'll be discussing Planet X tonight. The ancient Sumerians knew it as Nubiru, which means Planet of the Crossing. My guest this evening is Marshall Masters. Marshall is a former CNN Science Features news producer, freelance writer, television analyst, and the publisher of YaoUSA.com. For years, he has been researching Earth changes and Nibiru flyby-related topics, including sustainable survival communities, catastrophic crop circles, impact events, and future technologies. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Welcome back to another dose of the Michael Deacon program. Tonight will be fun. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those listening here in America and those who listen outside of America. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate all your support. And of course, those out there in the East Coast, hello to you. Thanks for staying up. So much to go over. However, I believe Mr. Marshall Masters is already on standby. I am. There you are. I was just telling the listeners how all hell broke loose the first time we tried to do this. Yeah, you know, it tends to happen. <laughs> I don't know what, I, I seriously don't know what happened there. Usually everything's re- ready to go, and um, when it's time, it's off to the races. But this time, nothing captured. Well, you know, these, these weird things happen when I'm doing interviews over the years. You just, that it's... It's the way it goes, and all you can just soldier on. So, Seriously, you know, yeah. good that you did, and uh, that we're coming back and taking another shot at it. Yeah, thank you for being here. It's always an honor and pleasure to have you on the program. Likewise. Yeah, so thanks for sharing your time. And as I said, we, we tried to do this one time, and it was a bit of a disaster there. Not not the content, but just recording-wise. Yeah, well, these things just happen. Exactly. You so, know, yes. it's like, you know, what matters is don't let it slow you down and you keep on going. I mean, I've had shows where, you know, the, the interruption was literally uh, just bringing down the whole show and uh, oh. nobody, you know, couldn't even get a signal out. So these things, you know, there's a lot of suppression. Now, this, they've just been, a, you know, 
a technical error, a glitch. Uh, but you know, I, I'm just seeing all the suppression out there, and uh, I'm really I see a lot of lamb basting. Well, it comes with it. But then again, for years, knew that in these times, this would be the case that. As we start to approach a point of critical mass, as I discuss it, that uh, the control that they're putting on media, uh, the suppression, that it would just get really ratcheted up. I'm seeing that quite a bit, particularly this year. This year is when it just... It kicked off. Really took off. Yeah, it really kicked off this year. And before we um, dive any deeper, I thought... I thought we could go over your background just very briefly for those who aren't just checking in now, Mark. Okay. Well, the I've been doing this, actually. I've been working with space threats and earth changes since 1999. And it was a result of, during the 90s, I had a travel business specializing in Russia. I would fly over December and come back in January so I could do my business and prep for the season. And I flew on Aeroflot, and the route from Moscow to San Francisco is the polar route in the North Pole. And what I saw over a course of years was a steady deterioration of the North Pole. Yeah, not something where you have hills and valleys and so forth, but right. it just got progressively worse until finally it looked like a busted window of a car in a wrecking yard. And that was when I had moment of clarity. That I just looked at it and just said, you know what? I'm going to believe my lying eyes. Something is happening and it is not good. Need to find out what it is. And that's where it all started for me. And that was led the path to Planet X. Yes. I'm retired from the computer industry. I was a systems analyst in the Silicon Valley with on a consulting basis with a number of large companies like AT&T, Sun Microsystems, Lockheed Martin, Hewlett Packard, Oracle, so forth. And uh, in the 80s, a science feature produced with CNN covering universities in Texas. So I've always come at the science background. Yes. And there's, you know, there's a broad range in what you can do with it. But for me, it always comes down to... Um, I'm looking for what I'm looking for in particular are trends and patterns because that's what we really can make the resources that we have at hand. Now, we're not NASA. We don't have spacecraft, uh, solar observatories up there and things where we're getting information. We're not the Vatican with a personal telescope in Arizona. Oh, the Vatican. Uh, yeah, we're just... Uh, everyday folks working with what we have on. And, uh, typically it's eyewitness accounts, uh, smartphone videos, and that's what we have. But that is enough to get really good trend and patterns. So this is the way I go at it. What led us to Planet X, and I published my first Planet X article in January of 2002. That's when I really threw my hat in the ring. Uh, we studied Planet 2001, and the reason why we got led to Planet X is we were trying to understand global warming because I saw it. I'm sorry. If the president says it doesn't exist, well, that's his take on it, not mine. And I understand, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to debate that. But um, we were really wondering, I was working with a team of researchers, and, um, you know, we don't depend on this for our livelihood. 
You know, a lot of folks think science be forthcoming and tell us things. They're not. They're not forthcoming. And uh, this is because if they do that, welcome to the exciting world of fast food. You're running a grill at Wendy's. You're no longer, you know, a scientist because uh, they'll pull your funding. They'll pull everything and really just drop the hammer on you. Now, no different than think about pilots. How often do we see pilots talking about UFOs that are flying near to their aircraft? What happens more often is, yeah, they see things, but they don't talk about it, or very few of them talk about it. And when they do, it it usually gets to a point where they're in in retirement, and uh, once they reach retirement, you're, you're on safe ground to be forthcoming. So... This is what led me to it. We're looking for patterns, particularly with the sun. What was happening? Because what we found was that there's this steady increase in solar luminance. The question is, is what's driving the luminance? Why is the sun getting brighter? We're yes. not talking about huge amount of change, but it doesn't take that much to have a profound impact on planets that are in orbit like ours. Yeah. By the way, Marshall, and, we, we did talk about that briefly, that we did notice the sun being a lot brighter. Even scientists mm-hmm. have said it's darker. Well, that's not what's happening. I, I don't believe that. We're, the, we're being lied to, and it's really sad. But that's just the way it is. Right. And they're telling us this because people are noticing and they're trying to this same thing that they're telling us we're on the verge of a mini ice age, that there's global cooling, not global warming. That's an outright lie because all you have to do is look what's happened with our ocean. Corals are dying. Half of the corals on the planet are dead. And the number one cause for corals to die is temperature. Yes, there's other things, acidification and pollution, these things. But what really drives it going to be heat, kelp force. We see methane blowholes in the Siberian tundra. Now, these are not things that are going to happen if a planet is cooling. It's going to happen when the planet is heating. But we don't really have a media. You know, when I was with CNN back in the 80s, back in the good old, good old I was days. there, you know, when Ted Turner was running the show. And Turner was he was a task driver but by golly that was an amazing placement i mean now it's in name it's really you know it's more like a soviet era pravda and the reporting is is by and large i think there's a lot of disappointment here oh, but yeah. then again am i talking about anything <laughs> no journal like like i mentioned on the last show, journalism is so, uh, it's such a dirty word now. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, whoever coined fake news didn't realize that they really hit the nail on the head. So we're getting lied, getting even more difficult for people who are in awareness to talk to other people when they're hearing the kind of lies that they want to hear which is nothing really is going on. Don't worry about it. Go on about your life. Shop. Be happy. Be merry. All is well. That's what people really want to hear. Now, that's not the case of what's happening. And in this month, uh, I published uh, my Signs 19, where I'm really raising the question, are we at a point of critical mass? Because that's what's really we're seeing in the trends. We've been tracking specifically 
fireballs and and fireballs and earthquakes are very telling. Um, we get the information from unimpeachable sources when we're doing earthquakes. What we don't do is uh, draw an arbitrary line for you know of a certain magnitude because the USGS has over the years been consistently muddying the waters. Every time you have an earthquake that happens, what happens? What do you see? USGS comes out and down, downgrades yes. the each and every time. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to find an event that they don't do that. Yeah. Uh, I think once I saw once where they actually upgraded it. I think they did that for bragging rights. But um, they're skewing the data so that they can make an argument that earthquake activity is down because if you look at this arbitrary threshold and above, you'll see it's just coming down, which is, it's a fabricated law. They're cooking. The, this happens all the time. Yeah. By the way, you just reminded me uh, back in 2010, there was an earthquake out here in Southern California that I experienced. Um, they build it as a 7.2. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I, I believe I had this sort of um, this app, and it read that it was stronger than that. Right. So I, I understand. I believe you. Yeah. So, I mean, we're seeing uh, just a lot of manipulation, a lot of denial, and it's uh, it really it works well because, frankly, there's just a lot of people that that's what they want to hear. That's why it works. People want it. And if they didn't want it, it is just going to go nowhere. And so folks don't want to look at this. And it's really, uh, this is a tough thing for people who are in awareness because they're trying to tell their families and they want to explain what's happening. At least get them to just say, fine, I'll look at some of the empirical data. Let's look at some hard research. And they won't even, the folks just don't want to, they don't want to see it. And it's really because Planet X and this whole topic taps on a very deep memory ingram that's within our racial memory of species. Our ancestors have seen on plenty of occasions when there's something in the sky that looks like it shouldn't be there, it's unusual, then next thing you know, there's dying, screaming, pain, blood, and misery. So this is something that carries on. It's part of our genetic makeup. So it's easy for people to go into denial because there is that little wake up that says you got a problem here. And so what they're doing is they're just smashing their fist on the snooze button and they just want to snooze through it. And yeah, you know, that's it. They don't want to, they don't want to confront the information. And what they do then is that they're going to be extremely brutal in their suppression of family members are trying to you know, broach the conversation, get the information out there, causes them a lot of grief and problem. So this is how things are. But there's going to come a time when all of this happy nonsense comes to a screech and halt. And I don't think we're that far away from it. I'm looking at this year, uh, the number of fireballs, particularly in December, my gosh, this month has just gone ballistic with the number of fireballs that we're seeing. You know, they're in Canada and Chicago and other places. Uh, 
earthquakes. It's very active, yes. Very, very active. We're seeing volcanic eruptions. We're seeing airports being closed. There's just a lot of this that is going on right now. Not a little bit here or there. It's around the world. And that's the reason why in my Science 19 article, I raised the point of critical mass. You hit critical mass, there's no going back. Yeah, it definitely seems like global critical mass is definitely coming in 20. The signs are there. Mm -hmm. Yes, the signs are there. How that's going to play out, I can't say. But when you see that, you know, when if we go back to 2012, and what happened with the Mayan calendar thing. Yes, that, that's now, really what got people first initially kind of um, dismissing everything that followed afterwards. Right, and because this is how it was played by the media. Exactly. The media yes. was playing up the expectation that December 21, 2012, you know, that's it. That's right. That, when we hit that point, then the world blows up and, and everything gets nilly and full and uh, I never saw that. I mean, I only had one prophecy for December 21, 2012, and it was in August of that year. I was interviewed by National Geographic, and I said, you know, what do you, you know, is there a correlation between the Mayan calendar and Planet X? I don't see it. It's coincidental. And then they said, well, what are you going to be doing December 21, 2012? And I said, I'm making coffee. I'm sure they and just take my coffee seriously. <laughs> I'm sure they just love that answer. Well, you know, I didn't get a lot of play in that interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder. You know, well, I say it goes. Uh, however, the thing about prophecy, prophecy is in two parts. Good prophecy. You're going to have the harbinger event, then you're going to have the prophetic event. And the thing about a harbinger event is this is a recognizable sign that tells you that you are on a catastrophic timeline, that You've got to date a whole lot of pain. And what happened with the Mayan calendar was the ancients were passing along a harbinger sign. That's what they were, the harbinger sign. And the harbinger sign in particular was a certain celestial alignment. This, by the way, is a consistent trend with the ancients that they use the, you know, something in the sky to tell us. No differently... We're going into Christmas, and everyone's going to talk about the Star of Bethlehem, right? Right. And uh, so this is the way people do it. Well, the Mayans were just simply saying, when you see this celestial alignment, you are on a harbinger event, and what's going to come after that is going to be bad. So you need to prepare. And what we found in 2015, we went back and we looked at the data, the empirical data, and we chose two data and very very specific. One data set was fireballs. So this is stuff that's being thrown at us by this incoming system. Then the other is earthquakes, and that is going to be a result of Earth interacting uh, or our sun interacting with Nemesis coming in, and then that is causing us to have this warming that we're having. And what we're seeing is that on both sides, the number of fireballs are since 2013, since January 2013, it has just been escalated and a huge rate. I'm not talking about maybe three or four or five percent a year, uh, you know, compared to levels leading up to 2012. 
we're three to four times that for both fireballs. And what this tells us is this is we have forces that are building. And that's what and we're seeing this right now with the volcano issue. Uh, my concern of twenty eighteen is I think if we see Vesuvius blow, there's a, we're talking about a major eruption. You know, it's pouring lava down the flanks. We see that happening. Then we have crossed over the threshold. We're now into a critical mass, and this is going to have synergistic effect. One thing is going to be exacerbating another thing. So we could have several factors that are reaching a tipping point. But then you have this synergistic influence of these other factors that are at critical, and then that heats up everything. And then next thing we know, things are just going completely bonkers on us, faster than we can cope with, faster than we can deal with. Uh, we're already seeing that right now. We're seeing um, when was the last time you can remember a scientist coming out and saying our forecasting model for weather uh, was absolutely right on, and things are going where they're at. No, they're continually giving us the same message. We underestimate. Our models did not anticipate the degree and the speed of change, right? Right. Okay. So we're seeing, and these are the things. It's just building and building and building. Now, meanwhile, we've been doing our usual work on looking at observation and there's always a, there's there's a lot of fear on go ahead there's a lot of fear I, i'm echoing here oh, with you. sorry about that go ahead okay there's a lot of fear porn on the internet right now this year is where it really started it's really been ramped up if you look at uh you go to the search engines you type planet x or nibiru and what you're going to see is government websites, attack pages by debunkers, and fear porn. That's what you're going to see for the most part. And there's a real reason for that. They know that the, you know, we're not that far off from a point where people are, they're going to be looking. You know, November 16th, they were looking up in the skies in London and people were seeing two suns in the sky. Yes. And they joked about Star Wars and Tatooine. Well, for those of you who want to really see something that is going to surprise you, I just, this evening, about an hour before we started this interview, I posted my latest interview. And uh, this is uh, Planet X Nibiru has arrived number four with Amber. And what we've done is it, it and there's an article also, on the site that uh, attends to this, which is, do videos of Planet X objects really prove anything? So if you read the article, you watch the video, you're going to see some pretty impressive stuff. First off, you're going to understand why smartphones are just really not good. They don't. They weren't designed to be solar telescopes. They're designed right. to give us nice selfies and be easy to use. Vacation. You know, excuse me, vacation videos and pictures. Uh, they're not designed to be aimed at the sun. And, um, so, and there's a lot of variances. Um, the variables between smartphones, I mean, it gets right down to how the lens was ground, who the contractor was, what batch they did, 
the cement that was used, the coatings that were used, the imaging process software, the digital processing chip, the user preferences. I mean, it's like you put all the variables together and you are talking about one big smartphone Dagwood sandwich. You know? Right. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff. But what you can use smartphones for and what they're really good for is trends, picking up patterns. And that's what we have in the – what I show in this newest video I put up, Planet X Nibiru has arrived number four, is that the, the Sun in the UK, it's one of their tabloids, published a lot of photos and images and video of that of what I call Ophelia Day. That was yes. the day the Ophelia hurricane moved in through the British Isles. They're very interested in that. Yes. And uh, what we found, and I present in this video, I just put up this tonight, is there were three objects observed that day, one at the uh, 1 o'clock, one at the 11 o'clock, and one at the 7 o'clock relative to the sun. Well, we have corroborating observation videos by folks that I have been publishing interviews on with the exact same locations. So we're talking about three different objects. Now, the question is, is why do we see one object and not another? And this has, again, its variables. It's the viewing sky, how much chemtrail activity. The reason why Ophelia Day was such a good day for viewing was that Ophelia blew all the chemtrail out of over England. It just blew the skies clear. And one of the things that really kept my feet to the fire and following that story was I caught the BBC in a downright dirty, filthy lie. Their weather forecaster said that the reason why everybody was seeing two suns in the sky was that Ophelia had formed off the Azores, and it had all the dust from Africa. Well, for the record, Ophelia, and you can look in the storm tracks and see this, Ophelia formed in a cold front in the Mid-Atlantic Basin and then moved, literally, once it formed, you know, it did a little loop around, and then pow, it headed straight for Northern Europe. And so I, when I, when I see them lie like that, then I know that they're really working on a cover-up. One of the videos that was shot in London, YouTube terminated the account. And another thing that I saw with that account, it was called Rod of Iron, I believe. Yes. Which if you go look now, you're going to see all kinds of nasty, dirty, filthy, ugly stuff. Okay, you do a search on Rod of Iron now, it's really ugly. <laughs> right. Um, and there's a lot of it been posted recently as well. Um, this is modus operandi. When they're going to silence something because the video, which was shown in the sun, all right, uh, it went viral. Its numbers were just ballistic. And so what they did was they, they took down the site. All YouTube said was it was terminated, which is odd because a lot of times if an account is terminated, it's like, it says, it, the account was terminated by the user or was terminated for violation of terms of service. Yeah. Yes. YouTube has no re ridiculous given. rules, by the way. Pardon? 
I'm sorry about that. I, I was just saying YouTube has ridiculous rules. Yes, and it's getting more so. And, you know, I mean, I have a good deal of trepidation about what's coming now that uh, the FCC has reversed um, net yeah, neutrality. Well, right. You don't even have to. You can still abide by the rules. However, if they deem it inappropriate for whatever purpose, they'll just gank it. Just, that's all. Right. Yeah. They'll just go and they yank it and uh, they don't bother giving anybody much of an explanation why. You know, and there's a lot of, of terrible things on YouTube, by the way, Marshall, that they allow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's there's no consistency to it. Um, you know, I have people that will take parts of my videos, um, use them for a mashup so that they can get AdSense revenue. And if I, you know, in those cases, if I make a copyright infringement complaint, uh, it's ignored. They won't do anything about it. Uh, but the interesting, here's the interesting thing, is these people can steal my stuff and they can make advertising money on it. That's right. But if I try to monetize the same video, YouTube will come back and slap me down. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh so, you know, this is this is how it works. But again, I see uh, I, I see all of this working its way in the coming year to a head. They can play all these games now. They can, uh, you know, suppress, manipulate, lie, do whatever they want. They're getting away with it because it's what people want. But when people start getting scared because they're looking up in the sky and they're going, damn, what in the hell is that? All right. And now they're looking for good answers. Now, what will happen because they've engineered it this way is when people start looking for answers as to, well, what is this in the sky? They're going to obviously go to the Internet. Yeah, I what think they're going to find on the Internet is a right. bunch of garbage. I think we're starting to see that, though. With the fact that uh, we saw on, I think it was the New York Times, they had released an article about uh, the Defense Department budgets that they spent $22 million on the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you read about that. Mm -hmm. I, I saw it briefly. Yeah. And, what, what do you make uh, about, all, about all of these things coming to the surface now? Um, I see soft disclosure is partially pardon soft disclosure. It could be soft disclosure. I see a lot of, I still see a lot of suppression and they're letting some things go. Um, other things they want to, they want to keep it suppressed. They don't want people to get involved with the truth of it, get too deep into it. So they're trying to maintain this basic suppression. I mean, the the bottom line here is the last thing the government wants is for people who are most at risk, and these are the ones that live along the coastlines. Most of humanity lives within 50 miles of a coastline. And if all of these people start moving inland, it's going to be very disruptive. They don't want that. They don't want that disruption. It's, uh, and for, for any number of reasons. So 
what they really want to do is they want to keep these people thinking, well, things are more or less normal. So go along with it. Trust the government with what they're telling you, and uh, you should be fine. And right now it's working because things haven't gotten to a point where it's really scary. Once things really get scary, then, you know, it's a different thing. But then again, people are going to, like I said, they're going to look up in the sky. They're going to see something they don't understand. They can't explain. They're going to go to the Internet to look for questions. They sure are not going to find people like me. That's right. They are going to find a whole lot of fear porn, and they're going to find a whole lot of junk and garbage, and it'll they'll know when they're looking at it. I mean, it's like some guy going, look, here's a smudge on a cloud. It's Planet X. They're going to see that, and they go, no, I'm seeing Planet X. It's no, it's no smudge, you idiot. And people are then going to say, well, uh, the Internet is just not a reliable source of information. So at that point, they're going to put their faith and credibility in corporate-owned media, specifically, you know, your CNN, Fox, uh, MSNBC, and those are the ones who are going to bring on the talking heads, and they're going to make all the assurances. And one of the things they're going to say, and this is this will be a statement of fact, but it also will be an omission of a fact, right? Is that they're going to say it's not going to hit us. Now, when people hear that, you know, there's like that. Oh, well, we don't have to worry. It's not going to hit us. It's not going to hit us, and they're just going to. Chalk it up. Well, the thing is that it was never going to hit us. And anybody that tells you Planet X is going to hit us is either a raving lunatic or a paid disinformationalist. And what we are going to have is we're going to have a lot of problems that are caused by the interaction of our sun in Planet X. We're going to have impact events. Uh, there's just a whole range of things that are going to happen. And people are going to hear on the news when they when they tune into the news, you know, they're going to hear, "Don't worry, it's all going to be it's all going to be copacetic." And well, it won't be. Things are going to happen. Volcanoes are going to pop off. Things are going to be occurring around the world, and it's getting it will be getting to a point where it's more and more difficult to be dismissive. You know, the old. It's just natural variability. Right. <laughs> That's not going to work anymore. And by the way, Marshall, going back to what you said about people looking you up, uh, I believe it's only the third website down when someone looks up your name um, that you have people trying to smear your name. Right. Right. So you're you're yeah. not lying about that. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're uh, the smear attacks. They're trying to take you down, Marshall. Happening. Right. They're cracking down. Uh, you know, they don't want people moving off the coastlines, period. They want the people on the coastlines to shelter in place. That's the term, shelter in place. And then that way, the tsunamis will take care of most of the issues that they have to deal with. They want to see a reduction in the population on the planet. And that is very, very clear. If you look at the Georgia Guidestones, uh, this is something more and more people talk about. It's coming more into awareness uh, with the Georgia Guidestones. It says uh, this is 
essentially, some people call it a Ten Commandments for the 21st century. They're just ten precepts, and they're in eight different languages. And the first is to keep the population of humanity under half a billion in harmony with nature. But it doesn't tell us how we get there. And that's where they're really wanting to go with this. They they want to have a maximum dieback event. They want to reduce human population. And for them, Planet X is a perfect thing to do it. All they have to say is look up in the sky. We're not doing this. It's that ugly rock up there. And this is how it'll play out. For people in awareness who are able to think for themselves, draw their own conclusions, it's a very lonely place to be right now. It's a very lonely place to be. And I hear this more and more as as I see these trends of catastrophic earth changes ratcheting up, I see the denial is becoming much more intense, much more solidified. And they don't want to see it. We're in the sixth major extinction event. It's called the Holocene extinction. And every day, two to three hundred plant and animal species go extinct. At this point, not only are half the coral in the world dead, half of the wild animals in the world are dead. Yeah, that's not good. No. It's a frightening uh, frightening sign. It is a frightful sign. And so, but as long as people can go to Costco and the shelves are full. <laughs> right. That's true. You know, it's like Alfred E. Newman. What, me worry? <laughs> you know? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes that way. Uh, well, the, the, you know, I, I always said said this on the program, Marshall, that a large percentage of our society is essentially brainwashed. Absolutely. I honestly believe so. Yeah. No, I'm seeing it. I am absolutely. It's this out is there, what Marshall. I'm seeing, and people are participating. You know, I enjoy history and documentaries and oh, books. Yes. And right. one of the things that really was fascinating for me in the last year, I've been studying World War II at length, and you look at how Joseph Goebbels was able to manipulate the populace, and you see the same things happening all over again. And it's easy to manipulate the population when you can, you know, you can say, look, we have victories or, you know, things are, we've hills and valleys, we won here, we lost there. Uh, but then, you know, Goebbels was faced with, uh, particularly after the Battle of Kursk, which that was it for the Nazis. Battle of Kursk is where they really got hammered. And uh, they lost just too much of their armor, too much of their the, – the Wehrmacht was just decimated by the Russians. That's correct, yes. And, um, you know, then Goebbels – he didn't have any tricks in his bag, so he invented a new one. And he said, we're going to declare total war. You know, they were already in total war. But you look at the videos of the people, yeah, total war, we're going to do it. You know, and so they're – they're clinging on, and this is just the way it is. This is human nature. It's happening. Uh, the majority of humanity, the vast majority of humanity, is going to perish. That's a fact because they've participated in their own demise. They're buying this nonsense. They're going with it hook, line, and sink. Only a few are not doing it. But for the few who are in awareness, and they're looking at the world around them, and, man, when the blinders come off, 
there is no going back. Now, for the people, you know, I, I look particularly, the ones I really, my heart goes out to is I see so many folks in awareness and they're being alienated and ostracized by their family and their friends and coworkers. But the ones that have spoiler spouses that are become so aggrieved with this discussion of Planet X, you know, it starts off with, you know, well, this is nonsense. Don't bother with it. Move on. Do something interesting. You know, take up bowling or knitting or whatever you want to do. Right. That doesn't work. Then it's more aggressive. And then when more aggressive doesn't work, the deniers then pull out the ultimate weapon, you know, the big red button. If you don't stop doing this, I'm going to divorce you. And they, you know, if it, if they punch the red button once, nothing happens and they figure, well, maybe I need to punch the button a lot harder and much more often. And so the person that's in awareness, their spouse, and this is, you know, this, it runs both to men and women, all right? Men do it, women do it. Because remember, this is a memory and what eventually happens is nine out of 10 times. And I mean, I've been tracking this and other things over the years, uh, but nine out of 10 times, the one that gets to the courthouse first is not the one who's been making the threats. It's the one who's in awareness. And the one who is in awareness files for the divorce, not out of anger or retaliation they're in a great deal of misery and pain when they file that. They're usually still in love when they divorce, but what they want is peace of mind. They want to be able to just have a quiet life without being harassed and intimidated, threatened, you know, to have all these daily ultimatums coming. The, the ones, the spouses that are in denial really do not grasp the damage that they're doing because they're, they're being emotional about it. They're not coming out of a rational thing. And if they were to go to a marriage counselor, you know, the marriage counselor is going to say, you know, you don't want to use the D word. That's really corrosive. It's really destructive. And you don't want to do it where you pound it every day, day after day after day after day. Stop this or I divorce you. Right. And uh, so then, you know, what you have is the person in awareness they're the ones that just do it because they want the peace of mind. They know there's no going back. They know they could take pills and alcohol. Oh, boy, yes. Do whatever you want to do. You can get stoned. You can go out and, you know, race, race go-karts or <laughs> anything you can cook up. Bottom line, no. Once the blinders are off, it's for life. There's no going back. And the deny, the ones that are in denial don't understand it because they don't even want to look at any of the evidence. They don't want to approach it rationally. They just have a very emotional and irrational compulsion to silence their partner. Yes. And 50% they, of American marriages end in divorce nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a staggering number. It's a staggering number. And it's also sad because 50% is for the first for people who've been married for the first time, people who have had one divorce or more divorces, but once you've been, once you've gone through a divorce, your chance of your next marriage failing is 75%. Yeah. All right. Why would you even want to get yeah. married after you get divorced the first time? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, we don't, marriage doesn't have, 
the sanctity that it once had. Not at all. Not at all. Times have changed tremendously, especially, especially since, especially since the forties and fifties. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny, but, um, if you go and you are looking at, um, uh, you know, I remember, you don't see them anymore today, but the great generation, the ones that were, you know, fought World War II. Right. And these folks were, you know, you see them walking hand in hand and, uh, you know, married for an awful long time and not now. Yeah, you not know, at all. There's, because there's, the culture's not set up for it. There's, uh, an awful lot of forces working to pull us apart as opposed to, you know, helping us to come together. And the, you know, for me, this is a real concern when you're looking at, uh, particularly for, uh, going through the tribulation and this acrimony that we have now between the sexes. And this is, this is something that is going to have to be addressed. I mean, we, we have to, when we're going into it, we're going to be in survival communities. We're going to be going back to an agrarian style of life. We're going back a hundred years in time. And this means it's, you know, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to be each to their own abilities. Um, there's not going to be any room or patience for political agendas or social agendas. And this is my concern is that, you know, we, we seem to always have these pendulum swings. Right. With our, with our society and our experimentation. And in the tribulation, there could be a tremendous pendulum swing in the other direction, which would not be to the best interest of women and children. And that deeply concerns me. That deeply concerns me. Um, Moving forward, how that's going to resolve itself, we'll see once we're into the tribulation. But in, if you compare us to the generation that went into World War II, that generation uh, was on more solid footing. They were healthier people. Uh, the food that they ate was much healthier than the food we have today. Uh, so psychologically, sociologically, physiologically, we're being set up to fail. I look at what's happening with all the chemtrail spraying and all the aluminum this is putting it into the world. This is stunning. It really is. And, and by the way, I just wanted to quickly mention, uh, since we are on the topic of geoengineering, do you believe that chemtrails are some sort of weapon? Absolutely. Um, you know, what chemtrails really are. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people that are really protesting against it and they're angry about it. But the thing about chemtrails is that the, you know, the main constituent is aluminum and the aluminum is being sprayed because they want to reflect photons back out into space. Right. Now, this is, if you think it's far fetched, go look at the scenario that they used for 20, the movie 2012. All right. And uh, where they were saying, the earth or the earth's core was heating up because of what was coming from the sun. Well, that scenario really is the realistic scenario. By the way, the movie 2012, the original movie that when it was scheduled to come out in the, in the summer, 
the cause uh, the for the movie was for there to be Planet X. And that was the reason why the film was pulled out of the summer schedule, because they had to fix it up, because they were told they couldn't use Planet X as the disaster scenario. And they had to shoot the front, you know, shoot a new front end to it. And that was the reason why it came out in November with the art films. Oh, I see. Think about it. You know, and it was, uh, and the reason why I know that was our book, uh, you know, we had a Planet X survival guide and we were licensed by a publisher in Japan for the Japanese edition. Well, because they knew what was happening from Sony who was doing the film. And they, you know, they had learned from Sony that it was going to be a Planet X scenario in the movie, which it wasn't. And so uh, they they took a bath on it. Sony took a bath on it. And it was, you know, this was just a classic example of elitist suppression and uh, pushing down awareness. Elitist suppression. So, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because... A few shows back, Marshall, I talked to an owner of an underground bunker company, and I had talked to him off air, and I was just saying how I bet you're doing great business right now, and he says he can't deny that. And uh, lots of his clients, um, he can't, well, he can't really reveal, you know, his clientele, but he told me that there are some very interesting names in there, those in the political realm, and that's all I'll say. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And so, you know, this is something where I see these things. People don't see it because, uh, as I say, uh, the closer something comes to the truth of Planet X, the faster it disappears. So people don't know what happened with that movie unless they happen to listen to this interview. Otherwise, yeah. they don't think yeah. twice about it. Never heard about that. Never heard about it. But if it was, you know. Why is it that it's, uh, you know, this whole situation where they've got to do, you know, they want to do something really ugly like this and suppress a film. But this just happens again and again and again and again and again. Then again, we have a wake-up period, and that comes to it. And when I wrote my book, Surviving the Planet X Tribulation, a Faith-Based Leadership Guide, what I was really doing with that was uh, writing the book for two audience. One audience is for the people in awareness, but the other audience is for a group of people who are going to be instrumental. And these are going to be uh, the leaders of small independent churches for the most part. You need to find somebody who's a religious uh, leader in a faith-based organization that's, you know, not beholding to a rigid chain of command where they're just taking the official line, so to speak. But you have somebody that has a, you know, they have an or, a faith-based organization. They're looking at what's happening and they're saying, you know, we're just going to, um, we're just going to go on our own. I'm going right. to get my flock out of here. And, these people are going to have three particular advantages. Uh, first thing is you have a chain of command. That's really important. Uh, the second thing is uh, churches have good disaster logistics. They could take them 30 years to build a library, but three days to get out and respond to a national, you know, natural catastrophe, and they're out there doing their thing and doing it well. Then the third thing is that uh, they are – 
Yeah, someone just sent me this article, Marshall. I thought, I thought you could have a look at it real quickly here. I just pulled it up. Mysterious ice box have appeared in Antarctica. My God, that is something, isn't That's it? Kinda That's kind of weird. You know, weird is the new normal. I, I, yeah, uh, I don't know what to make of that. Someone just sent that to me. I just thought I'd bring it to you. Well, I mean, we're we're looking at what's happening. Uh, we see that, like in Greenland, um, the ice packs are melting from underneath. Yeah, I saw that. That is particularly odd. Strange, uh, yes. In Antarctica, the west west side of the uh, continent, uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, there's a real concern that if the ice there gives way, we could have sea level rising. Um, interestingly, in Svalbard, which is up in the Arctic Circle, and that's where the Svalbard seat vault is located, they're having warming up there. Their temperatures are now 16 degrees Celsius higher than they used to be, and uh, which is causing a lot of problems for them. But all of these things are happening. It's happening all around the world. You see it in independent media. You see it reported in local media. You see it reported in foreign media. And what do you see with our media? You know. Other things. <laughs> it's all in the gutter. And so, you know, folks aren't able to see it. They can't connect the dots. But going back to the church, um, they have, and the third thing that a church has a real advantage is it, you're going to have a diverse range of skill sets. People come from every walk of life and they're going to have hobbies that are not necessarily going to be of any value in the job market. If, you know, if you're a really good deer hunter, there's, there's no job in the job market for that. But on the other hand, that's a really useful skill in terms of survival. Uh, so you're going to have all of this it pulls together and what I'm trying to say to the folks in awareness is you need to go out and identify these faith-based organizations, and you need to find the leaders who are going to have the right mindset. If they're going to look up at the sky when everybody's going, what the heck is that? They're going to go, I don't know what that is other than it's a clear and present danger, and I know I need to get my flock to safety. You want to find those kind of people. Those are the ones that you want to work with. They're going to organize because surviving this is really going to be about communities. And ideally, you have a community of at least 100 people, but more in line with about 150 to 200 people. Uh, they're the ones that are going to have a much better chance of getting through what comes, not the me and mine preppers that are just, you know, a dozen people or less in a bunker. Uh, those people are going to wind up becoming a food source for, for some, you know, for the nasties out there. Uh, so that's the reason why I'm saying you need to do it if you're in awareness. Correct. Your, your role as a person in awareness, you're not a leader. That's the first thing you have to get into your head. You are not a leader. You are a mentor, a teacher, comforter. So you're a support person. But what you have to do is, Present yourself, and uh, people in awareness don't really appreciate the greatest gift that they have of their awareness. They don't understand it because they think of themselves in consumer terms. We live in a consumer society. In a consumer society, we define ourselves by what we don't have. We don't have the nicest house, the newest car, this, that. If we don't have it, we can go out, go into debt and get it. 
we can go buy some. It's a very uh, materialistic world indeed. Very materialistic, very nihilistic. All right. You have to flip it around. You have to say, well, what do I have? Not what I don't have. What you don't have is, you know, that's what you don't have is an intimate relationship with Jeff Bezos who's going to build your bunker for you. <laughs> right. You know, wakey, wakey, folks. There are no Planet X sugar daddies. There's nobody. I know you, you know, this is going to sound nuts. This is going to sound nuts. But you wouldn't believe how many people are going, someone's going to rescue me. My ancestors are going to come down in golden chariots or my religious faith or my this or my that. Everybody's, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Then if they don't say that, then comes the tribulation bravado, as I call it, you know. Well, when it happens, I just want to be at ground zero and go quickly. That's what they say. And I know that if they're standing there looking down the street, <laughs> there's a tsunami rolling up the street towards them. They're not going to stand there with their family and their wives, husbands, children, parents, so forth, and go, you know, two years ago, I said that <laughs> I wanted to be a ground zero and die. So I am a man or a woman of my word, and I'm going to stay here and die here, and you're going to die with me. You really think that's going to happen? No. They're going to turn and run, and they're all going to be screaming, feet don't fail me now. And But it won't, you know, by that time, it's over. So uh, for the folks that are in awareness, it's it's really going to be difficult when things start to ratchet up, even when people are seeing it in the sky. Look at what happened with Ophelia Day, as I call it, November 16th. People all across the British Isles looked up. They saw two suns in the sky. And what did they do? It's a Star Wars movie. What does Hollywood have to do with celestial objects, objects in the sky? Nothing. Nothing. But that's what people wanted to do. So... For those of you who are in awareness, all right, um, first thing, I, you know, I tell everybody is just don't talk about it. All you're going to do is antagonize your family. Like Fight Club. They're going to be mean to you. It's going to create a lot of acrimony. You're just better off making sure that they know you love them and that you appreciate your time with them. And you just don't get into this. And when it happens, uh, if you think they're going to run up to you and say, you know, you were right, we were wrong, and we're, we need your leadership to help us get out of this. No, they're not going to do that. Yeah, how many times has that happened? No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, uh, you know, when, when something like this happens, what you're going to hear from people is, well, I don't really know what to do about it, but I do know one thing. I got to be the boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, it, it's going to be irrational that way. It's going to go. Um, you tell oh, yeah. a bunch of strangers, I've been studying this and I know all about it. Someone's going to say, well, where's your bunker? Share it with us. Oh, yeah. Bunker. People are going to act, um, outrageous yeah. and obnoxious and belligerent when uh, the proverbial, you know, what hits the fan. You, you could kind of just scale that, um, by looking back at all the footage of when we would have these natural disasters and how uh, the normal person reacted when these disasters happened. Yeah. Chaotic. You know, talking about normal person reacting, because, I mean, this year, uh, there are people in my circle of friends who have been directly affected by the wildfires in the West. Yes. Flood in Houston. Mine, too. 
flooding in Florida. And what do you see on the news, you know, the day after and they're all gathered and they're going, well, thank God the house is completely devastated. The business is completely devastated, but we're alive. Thank God, you know, we really, well, you know, they ought to go back and video those people like about a month later. <laughs> oh, seriously, yeah. <laughs> That's not what they're going to be saying a month later because a oh, month no. later they're picking up the pieces of their lives. That's right. And, uh, and paying serious money. Trouble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, it's a real setback. And um, coming up, you know, in the in the next year, I just think that uh, for folks in awareness, the important thing is keep a low profile. Really, seriously, keep a low profile. The last thing you want to have is things, you know, start getting bad, and then you want to go out and talk with somebody about it. That's what we do. It's, you know, human nature. But you're going to be talking to people who are freaked out and scared, and somebody's going to, you know, somebody's going to say something stupid like, you manifested this. Oh, boy. And uh, at that point, you know, <laughs> The next thing you see is they're they're throwing a rope over a tree branch, and it's got your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. So uh, you keep it that way. Just keep it on the QT um, and work constructively. Study it. I mean, it's I see folks in awareness, and I, they're they're spending an awful lot of time on this ridiculous fear porn that's on the internet right now, and. We're, you know, what's that going to do for you? What's that going to do for you? Um, not going to, you know, it's, it, it's not going to buy you a day of life. I mean, literally, when you look at this stuff, you need to just ask yourself, all right, does this give me a strategic advantage? What's this going, if I have this knowledge, what's this knowledge going to do for me? People need, who are in awareness, they need to ask themselves that questions when they look at this because Tracking a few people you're tracking, but you really need to be using this remaining time constructively. And you know, right now I'm working on my next book, which will be out in January, uh, and that'll be Radio Free Earth. And Radio Free Earth is a book that's written for, it's a leadership guide. That's what I'm doing now is leadership guides. Because if you do a how-to book for Joe Prepper, you know, onesie, twosie, Joe Prepper. Right. Uh, no, no it, I don't see those people being successful. You know, even folks that have a lot of money, in the lead-up to 2012, uh, I had folks that were building bunkers. And I'm talking about poor boy scraping by on as little as you can as a half a mil, all right? These things are more up in the million-dollar range. Yeah, they're very, very expensive. Very, very expensive. And you know, by the time they would get around to doing a real, you know, a look, uh, an analysis with me, um, I knew that they had, they were probably in a situation where they had earnest money down and ready to go to escrow closing, and so they could either recover their deposit or forfeit it, whichever. But what they were looking for me was validation that they had actually picked a good location. And I will say, these people who had money and they came at it, I really enjoyed working with them. 
They were very respectful. Uh, they didn't argue. You don't hear stupid stuff from them like, well, it seems logical to me that, oh, God, I hate it when I hear that. And never heard it with people who had money. Here, you know, with folks that are trying to do things on the cheap, but right. not people who have money. Um, you know, they would give me, they'd say, all right, here's a, uh, here's a town or uh, a peak or something like that. Something I could find on Google Earth and it would be within 30 miles, 20 to 30 miles of their bunker. And I have a scale of uh, zero to 10. Zero is that's ground zero. You're going to die there. That's all. You're just going to die there and you're going to die badly. Um, the 10 on the other hand, that's as good as it gets. I don't give a 10 to any locations in the United States because of the government. Um, in Canada, there are regions that I do give a 10, you know, it's as good as you get, but here the best is nine and a half. Well, what I can tell you is that these people had a lot of money. They would, they spotted their locations and they would be at a minimum in eight. They were typically an 8.5 to a 9.5. And uh, when I told them that, that was all they needed to know. And they were really happy, and there you go. It was a good, pro profitable consultation for me, and it was helpful for them, and they felt good about it, and they would move on. But what people don't factor in, what they don't really think about, is that we're going to face uh, – a tribulation of about 10 years. In the first half of it's the worst half. and the second half, things will be slowly winding down and uh, getting back to some semblance of normal. And when you're building these bunkers, they're typically planning for one to two years underground. And so they'll have water, fuel, food, spare machinery, parts for repairs, and things like that. And they have all of that. Well, if it's only two years, they're probably not going to make the full two years because I tend, what I see is people tend to underestimate the caloric demand. If you're really in a lot of stress, things are really hard, you're, you're dealing with a lot of bad situations, you're going to burn through more calories. Um you know, everyone has these conservative, optimistic forecasts because conservative, optimistic forecasts are cheaper than doing it the right way. Simply right. put, it's just cheap. And eventually, they're going to have to come up from below ground to go forage on the surface. And when they do, that's when it's really going to be awful for them. Oh, terrible. Terrible, because they're going to come up above ground and there's going to be some very nasty people who are going to smell their healthy bodies. They've been eating their organic MREs. Um, they're going to smell their bodies up to maybe as far as a mile away. And then they're going to track them down. They're going to hunt them. And you're going to have renegades, highwaymen, cannibals, thieves, all kinds of real nasties out there. And they're going to... They're going to be actively engaged in hunting for me and mine preppers, these people who have built these fancy shelters. So this is the reason why when I hear somebody in awareness going, you know, well, I can't afford bullets, beams, and bunkers, uh, it's wrong. Because even the people who can 
They think they're clever, but it ain't going to work out the way they think. Nothing goes according to plan. And they're going to, they're going to face a really ugly comeuppance. So this is, this is why I'm just trying to, trying to get out there and reach people who are in awareness. And you need to focus on building skill sets. You need to be able to walk into the leader of a community. I did a whole video series called Two Suns in the Sky. And in Two Suns in the Sky, I go through and actually, you know, talk about how do you find someone you can go to, like a, a leader of a faith-based organization. And when you approach them, keep in mind, they're going to be going through a really tough time. They're going to have people running around. They're going to have their own leadership councils. And people are going to be dreaming up all kinds of conspiracy theories, nonsense, you know, trust the government, do this, do that. It No one's really going to have a good beat on it because they're going to be coming into awareness in the midst of the crisis itself. And surviving a tribulation is not something you want to do as an on-the-job training episode. Uh, you need to go into it prepared for what's going to happen. So if you're in awareness and you're really prepared for it, now what happens is you can go to the leader of a faith-based community, and when you present yourself, you're going to have something that is going to stand out from across the room, your demeanor, your composure. You're not going to be happy about what's going on. Nobody's going to be happy about what's going on. Nobody. But you will have already, through your awareness, you will have processed it. You will have accepted it. You know, in on my site, there's a video that I did called Five Stages of Catastrophism. Just go to the menu for for videos and you can go to it and watch it. And this will lay out for you the five stages of catastrophism. And when you approach this leader, then if you have a strong countenance, what does that mean? Well, imagine a hurricane. If you're in the eye wall, if you're in the wall of the hurricane, you're in the midst of this raging winds, it's tearing everything up. But right in the center of a hurricane is the eye. And that's where it's peaceful and calm. And so your countenance as someone who's in awareness, who has worked through this, you know, you have, you have done your homework. You have processed through all of this. Well, that is going to be in your face. And there's no way somebody could bluff that. There's no way to bluff it. You're going to have it or you're not going to have it. And the leader of that community is going to see that you have it. And then that's going to give you a chance to start talking. And if you're talking and all you're saying is stupid stuff because you wasted all of your time on fear porn instead of preparing yourself, you're not going to sound very intelligent. But if you can, you are prepared. And that was the reason why I did the book. You know, it's like, take two copies of the book. You have your copy of Surviving and it's dog-eared. And then you hand a brand new copy of the book to that leader. Now it's a big book. It's like a small phone book. All right. And the leader's going to go, wow, you know, this thing is really huge. I don't have time to read all of this, but here's where you're going to say you need a plan. He's going to know that he needs, or she's going to know that they need, you know, they need a plan. 
What you're going to say is you need a plan, and this book has a plan for you. If you have any questions, any questions at all, I'm always at your service. Now, what happens when you do that is if you have presented yourself well and you are well prepared, you have carefully chosen the right kind of person and a leader, then you're going to come into that organization at the top, not at the bottom. You are going to be in an advisory role at the leadership level. And then that gives you an opportunity to say, you know, after they ask you to come in and uh, to join with them and to be a part of their organization, you say, well, you know, I'd like to include my family. What are they going to do? Say, we want you, but your family can die? Nobody's <laughs> right. that yes. stupid. So these are the kind of things people can be doing right now. They should be doing right now. They're thinking it through. Um, that's certainly what I'm doing with the work that I'm doing right now. This book that I'm working on, Radio Free Earth, is, again, it's a leadership guide. And what I'm trying to do is explain to a leader that here's what you need to know about two-way radios. Because I see a lot of naivety out there. Now, I'm a ham. I have a general license. Right. I'm also, uh, you know, I'm a member of ARIES, Amateur Radio Emergency Service which is uh, a, that's an NGO uh, that is operated by ARRL in connection with Homeland Security. Also belong to CERT, Community Emergency Response Team, which is through FEMA and the local sheriff's office. Uh, what you got to do is uh, you have three choices. You can be a part of the solution, a part of the problem, or you can be a victim. That's it. So, what I'm trying to say to folks is you need to start thinking about what you're going to do to be a part of the solution. And somebody goes, well, how many sacks of rice do I need to put into the garage? And that's not being a part of the solution. Right. That's just creating a problem because you've got to, so fine. So you go and you buy a whole bunch of rice and you put it out in the garage. Well, it takes water and it takes fuel to prepare the rice. So not only do you have to stockpile the rice, you need to stockpile the water. See, people are so used to turning on a tap, they don't think twice about it. They're so used to turning on a stove, they don't think twice about it. Well, welcome to the third world where people spend a third of their day just <laughs> looking for potable water. Right. Uh, and that's going to be the reality of it. Uh, so Yeah, a lot of people are just going to die off, Marshall, once this happens. Yeah, that that is what will happen. So a lot of people are going to die off. Um, and there's no guarantees for anybody, no guarantees, not even for me. But you do what you can do. Doing something is better than doing nothing. That's true. And That's true. Uh, in my mind, what is going to be really essential, because I'm not even so much people are looking at this in terms of how are we going to survive in that, you know, this terrible disaster that's going to cause by the flyby of this planet through our system. And so, fine, you stockpile a year's worth of food or two years' worth of food. That's great. You're looking at that. You're sitting in your bunker. You're waiting to hear the sound of picks and shovels over your head, by the way. And um, you are, you know, what are we going to do? And you're watching the supplies dwindle down and dwindle down and dwindle down. And 
folks are not working together. And I keep saying this is less about holding on to things and more about holding on to each other. And this is what's really important with what's coming. So, uh, and, and a huge part of this is going to be the ability to communicate. And as a ham, radio ham, what I see that I, it, it's a little disheartening for me is, uh, there's a, a lot of preppers who are going out and they're buying these really cheap Chinese brand knockoff, uh, two-way radios. And these are low power radios, five power watts, eight watts. You know, you're not talking about when you're in a survival situation, you're talking about how many ridge lines, how many mountaintops can I get across with the radio? And these little things, they're not going to get you. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. And um, it's, but also radio has such a huge and immense important role. It's just not, you know, preppers who are, you know, they want to be able to talk to each other while they're out there hunting game or something. Uh, this is about building community. It's about working with, with others. So in the book, what I'm doing is I'm explaining, here's all these different types of radios. Here's their application for survival, how you're going to work with your community. Uh, I'm, you know, and what I'm really trying to do is to give the leader of a community a, a working knowledge so that they can find a, a ham operator that's local to them. And they're going to, when that ham says, here's what I can do, this is what I can do, they're going to be able to understand what they're capable of doing. They're going to know if they've found somebody that can handle a lot of the long term. Another thing is that you want to be able to uh, become a part of the solution. You know, the federal government can collapse. Uh, state governments are going to be dramatically reduced uh, once their supplies give out. But local governments, everything goes local. Everything gets back. You know, as the old saying goes, all politics are local. And that's what's going to happen. And uh, in the tribulation, the folks that are going to really have have a lot of power and decide factors are going to be your sheriff, local sheriff, uh, a local mayor, a town council. They're going to have immense amounts of power, and they're going to need to have communications to get information out to the communities that they're working with. If they see you as some sort of you know, leave us alone, survivalists or preppers, and you're racing around in the woods with your AR-15s and you're talking on your radios and you don't want to be a part of anybody else. You're going to, you know, you're you're no longer a part of the solution. You're going to be a part of the problem. And you could get, you know, that could work against you, work against you badly. So with the book, what I'm trying to do with the leaders, I'm saying, look, you pull together people that have the knowing of this because I'm going to be blunt. You know, ham radio is, it takes years to really master all of the concepts and everything that goes in. There's no quick and easy way. But what I want to do with this book that I'm writing is I just want to help people who are going to be in a leadership role in a survival community. So they're going to know what, you know, what, what they can do, what's going to be effective for them, 
and who they need to find to get it done and how to direct them, you know, how to say, this is what I need you to do, to give them a vision. And, you know, even with that, I mean, this is going to be a very, this is going to be an, a very large book, but it's going to have a tremendous amount of knowledge in it. And I want people to have this knowledge because if we're going to have, if we're going to come out of this as a free species, uh, we've got to be able to organize with each other. And we're not going to do that, you know, by uh, <laughs> two cans and a string. Uh, people are going to need to use two-way radios. You know, uh, amateur uh, ARL, their motto is when all else fails, amateur radio. And that's truly the way it is, when all else fails. That's what you have. In, uh, for example, with Katrina, Katrina was devastating for Very. commercial systems, for television, for radio, for cell towers, with all this. I mean, there were just entire areas of the Gulf Coast that were blacked out. They had no communication whatsoever. But what did happen was that, you know, hams just started pulling up all their radio gear, got into their mobile homes. And they headed south, and they set up their stations, and they started relaying messages. So, as an you know, as an amateur ham, and as someone who's involved in radios for an emergency situation, which is Aries, um, you know, I see that there's a lot. You know, preppers are are really getting the the Chinese companies are going after them like crazy because the mainstream there's there's in amateur radio, there's three companies, really. It's Kenwood, ICOM, and Yesu. And then there's a few others that are excellent. Uh, but these folks, for the most part, just stay completely clear of the prepper market. They stay clear of survivalists. They don't want to deal with it because their, their whole marketing setup is designed to work with people who have a passion for communication. You know, uh, an amateur radio operator is going to want to, you know, see QSO cards, postcards in the mail from people he or she is contacted overseas. And that's a real hoot. You know, that's their big thing. How many overseas contacts? How many countries have I had, you know, good contacts with? I've been able to talk to somebody. And this is what floats their boat. That and other things, contests and um, triangulation, finding, you know, people that are broadcasting. This is what they like to do. This is their passion. And they piddle with this stuff in, you know, they just all the time playing with it, trying new gizmos and gadgets and seeing if they can get better communication uh, links out there. But for preppers, preppers look at two-way radios not much more differently than they would a trenching tool. I mean, their passion is survival. Their passion is not two-way radio, winning a two-way radio contest. Their passion is survival. So it has to have uh, value to them as a tool. And I see, you know, what I can tell your listeners, I see a lot of folks out there, and you, you see pictures of them on the Internet. Here's a guy with an AR-15 and web gear. You know, it's thousands of dollars worth of gear and weaponry. Yeah. And he's got a $35 bow fung on his shoulder. You know, looks really cool. Well, you know, amateur 
radio operators buy these cheap knockoffs, and they are really cheap. I mean, you're talking about a radio that's maybe, you know, uh, a fourth of the cost of a quality radio. And the reason why, one of the reasons why it's so inexpensive is that they don't have good quality control. These things fail. Uh, the mean time between failure is very high on these uh, Chinese knockoffs. But you look at, you know, pictures of preppers and what do they got? Hey, you know, Balfongs and Waxons and they've got these things clipped to their shoulder and feeling like they're going to go take on the world. Those radios don't last. They're good for a few months. Ask, uh, you know, ask an amateur because amateurs, you know, hams, they like to buy them too because they're just cheap, you know. Everybody likes that. It's just cheap. And uh, you ask them, well, you know, do you have one of these? And they go, oh, hey, man, I got a drawer full of them. They're all dead, but this one still works. <laughs> right, yes. <That's laughs> you funny. know, so what I'm trying to do with this book is I'm trying to explain to a leader of a community how to set up a local network, a radio network, so that you now are going to become like in a Voice of America kind of model. And it's just not about you, but you're in service to a community. It's a way for you to then, if you're in service to a community, you're establishing a very positive rapport with the local leadership, whatever there is remaining. You're going to augment what they're doing with uh, public service announcements, special alerts. You can do that kind of thing, news collecting, uh you, know, you don't treat this this typical thing of saying, well, you know, all government is evil. No, I mean, you get down to a sheriff's level, and those folks, they see the same things we do, and they don't care about it. They don't like it, you know, and they don't like that they got to carry water for it either. Um, so this is you know, what I'm trying to do. This is my whole thing of Find people who are going to lead communities, give them the intelligence tools, because surviving the tribulation very simply is this. Very nice. It's about learning what, learning what works and learning what hurts. The goal being that you learn enough about what works before what hurts kills you. And Marshall, when will this book be released? I'm looking for the end of January. Ah, okay. Perfect. I'll, like I said on, on the last show, I'll, I'll put up some links for those who want to check that out. Great. Great. I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this book, this is interestingly enough, this has been, I've been working on this book for two years and, uh, the, you know, it's taken an awful lot of work and commitment. Uh, and as I got into it, it was really, you know, finding how to explain this to somebody who has no passion for two-way radios but has a passion for survival. And yes, as long as I'm talking to the passion for survival, then I think I can help them. Definitely. We'll check that out as soon as that gets released. And we are coming to a close here, Marshall. And I did want to ask you just um, one more other thing before I sure. let you go. Are are you ready for Christmas? We are a little less than a week away. Yeah. And so well, when people hear this, it'll be a little less than a week. Right. And, you know, again, this is this year. I just the people that I love and I care about. I don't want to talk to them about what's coming. I just 
want them to know that I love them and care about them. This is this is a time when if you're you're in awareness, put it in a box. Just be with your family, love them, make sure they know you love them, and uh, and it's the rest of this. It's it's a it's a heavy load, and you're going to have to bear the burden on your own. I agree. I'm going to have to go call my parents after hearing that. <laughs> uh, you've been getting pushback from the parents, huh? Oh, of course, by everyone. Oh, I know, I know, and it's really um, it's it's a tough thing. But you don't come into awareness unless you incarnated in this life with the intention of doing so. I acquiesce. That's. I think that I think that's an important thing for folks in awareness to understand. You know, look at. Right now, it's so easy to, uh, you know, what have I got? What am I of value? You know, what can I offer? Well, stop and do the math. I mean, all of the people in awareness about what's coming are a dimple on a fraction of a statistic, <laughs> a fraction of a number. Pretty much, yeah. Right? And, you know, there's not that many. So when things do start to pop, then you're going to be the one that – and Folks are going to see it. They'll see it in your face that you're ready for this. And that's when you can make a difference. But even when you're doing it, you know, be gentle, be soft. Remember that when people do start coming to ask you questions, only tell them what they need to know at the time. Don't talk to hear yourself talk. Don't blab on. Just answer their question. Listen to them answer their question, and then sit with a smile and be patient and wait for them to ask their next question or they're going to go off and chew about it. But uh, if you start rattling on because all of a sudden, all those years, nobody wanted to listen to me. Now they want, you know, now they're asking questions and there's going to be that urge to just let go like a busted tent flap. Uh, that's not going to help you. That's going to come across as ego. It's not going to be well-received. It's not going to be helpful. You have to be really, really gentle. You have to think about it carefully. You know, when you're talking, take your time. When you have something to say, think about it before you say it. You know, as the old, as the old saying goes, engage brain before letting loose the mouth clutch. And, um, that's good advice. Yeah. Just, you know, think it carefully through, deal with it. And this is what you were, you know, this is the reason for your awareness. This is why you're seeing it. Other people are not seeing it. And if you're going to be in a state of fear about your chances of surviving, there's no, nobody has a guarantee. There, nobody has a guarantee. It's more about if you're just in service to others, you're going to try and make this a better world through the middle of this. And it will be. I mean, this coming tribulation with Planet X is going to be seen by the vast majority of people in the world as uh, just a horrible, horrible holocaust. But it's also going to offer us an incredible opportunity. It is going to break the bondage. We're, we're a slave species. This is one of the reasons why there's so much suppression on me. 
this message that I keep trying to get out. We're a slave species. And this is our chance to break the bonds once and for all. Yes, tribulation comes. We're going to be dying in vast numbers, but we'll be dying as free men and women. Once we realize what we have paid, you know, the price that we have paid, that is when we're going to be able to have the courage when the elites are going to try and reestablish their control over the surface of the planet to say, no, that's all. Yeah, not going to get in any long, drawn-out speeches. You're just going to say no. And if enough people say no, then their scheme for reasserting their control over the surface of the planet will fail. And that's when we have a chance for a Star Trek future. That's when we're going to be able to take humanity to the next step. And that's what it's really all about. And I know that right now it's got to be hard for people to listen to this and they, you know, no, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. But what I would say to you, if you're saying it's crazy, it's crazy, it's how long have you been thinking about this? I've been thinking about it every day for 20 years. How yeah. long have you? That's right. That's right. Because once you finally do, once you finally, uh, you've thought about it long enough, you come to peace with it and you understand, you know, you're, you, you, there's no guarantee, nothing that says you and your loved ones are going to survive, but you have a clear beat on it. You have clarity and that clarity is what is going to be valuable to you. And if you are presenting yourself to the right kind of people, then you're going to make the right kind of a difference. And if you are going to, you know, make yourself available, if you will, to people who are just saying anything out of desperation because they're in fear for their lives, you haven't positioned yourself in a good place. You're not bringing your your true expertise, you're not bringing why you are in awareness uh, into a natural fulfillment of your destiny, what you should be doing. And again, I know this is, you know, it, it, it's daunting. It's just so much easier, to be honest, it's just so much easier to watch fear porn and think you're doing something constructive when you're doing nothing constructive but wasting your life, wasting your time. Very true. Now, Marshall, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program. Once again, always an honor and privilege to talk to you live here. Well, I always enjoy it, Michael. I enjoy your show. Me too. I hope it's been of help to the folks that are doing it. And uh, just remember, it's less of, you know, it's not about holding on to things. It's about holding on to each other. Yes, and that's yowusa.com. To, That's right. Yes, go back and read some of the material that Marshall has provided, along with many various books that he has released, along with many articles as well, correct? That's right. And check out my newest video, the one I just put up tonight. Um, Planet X. Nibiru has arrived. That's right. Number four. And... uh Boy, that's that that connect that one connects the dots. It really surprised us uh, how it did. It worked out really well. So uh, Amber is uh, man. She's one of the things I learned is you know guys are tend to 
you know, one trick ponies and they throw it over the transom. Women are better at this than men because they're patient. Right. That's uh, Amber Williamson. That's right. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. She's, she's quite a gal. She's quite a gal. So, you know, I see, I see like Amber and what she's doing. I mm-hmm. see other people and, you know, it's easy to give up hope, but I'm not because I see people out there doing the right things. There's not a lot of them. Not, you know, they're, there's a they're few. not out there in big numbers, but uh, God doesn't need big numbers to make a big change. That's absolutely yeah. correct, Marshall. Yep. And the, by yeah. the way, I, I did read your book, Surviving the Planet X Tribulation. I forgot to mention oh, it. Yeah. like that a lot. Oh. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah, good stuff. Glad you did. Yeah. So, Marshall, I'll, I'll talk to you again um, once that book comes out, and we'll go over it. Looking forward to it. Clockwise. Absolutely. Yes. So once again, good night and stay safe and Merry Christmas, Marshall. Merry Christmas to you, Michael. Take care. And that was Marshall Masters, ladies and gentlemen. And keep in mind, if you are listening to this on YouTube or on a stream, that's every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoyed this program and want to help it keep moving forward and expanding, please feel free to donate any amount. I would appreciate it. It does help keep the lights on over here. Go to michaeldeacon.com and donate any amount you'd like. Tonight has been fun, hasn't it, boys and girls? I hope this evening has been entertaining for you. And, of course, I'll be returning in a few days. Don't miss it. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.